Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today I sit down with Captain Ben Alderman, one of Charleston, South Carolina's original inshore fly and light tackle guides. We discuss guiding, tournament fishing, sight fishing, and more. Hope you all enjoy the episode. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast as well as other video content that you can't find on YouTube. The registration is now live for the first ever Eastern Current Online Angler Series Redfish Tournament. Click the link in the show notes to sign up today. This will be an artificial only spring redfish series. You can fish all three tournaments in the series or just one. The tournaments will be hosted through the iAngler app and you can participate from any state. The first tournament will be March 24th and 25th with an online captain's meeting the night before hosted through our Facebook page. The redfish tournament will consist of your longest three redfish per day under 32 inches. This is just the start to our online angler series and we're excited to bring you many more tournaments for redfish, speckled trout, flounder, and more. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P-127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Ben, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me. I've been excited to chat with you ever since you, you said yes to doing a podcast. And um, just just thankful that you're, you're on the show with me. Well, hey, Judd, it's it's nice to finally get to talk to you in person, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about Charleston fishing. Heck yeah, man. So I was just telling you pre-show, um, I started following you after uh, after we fished with Jay Withers um, back-to-back, and I watched y'all show that y'all did, and I was like, man, that guy knows what he's doing. And, and then following your Instagram for a while, and I'm like, man, he's always getting them on the fly rod every single day that he's fishing, it seems like. And so we're just excited to, to chat with you about, you know, the kind of fishing that I'm passionate about uh, in an area that's really cool. And 
and you've been doing it quite a, quite a while. So why don't you tell people kind of your full backstory, how you got into fishing, um, and how it's brought you through your career that you've, you've, you've had so far. Uh, sure. The, uh, you know, like most guys that, that do it for a living, you know, I grew up loving it as a kid. I, I was a kid out on the dock fishing all night for brim and catfish because we had a, a house on the lake and my parents also had a condo down at Litchfield beach with a dock, uh, that had saltwater fish. So like a flounder and spot tail bass, what we call them here in Charleston, flounder and redfish off that dock. And so I had, even as a little tiny kid, I mean, I was on the cover of the Sun News with an eight-pound flounder when I was like seven years old. That's awesome. Um, yeah, just a freak story with a Zebco 303 that broke, and I hand-lined him in. My dad had to come save it. It was on the cover of the newspaper. So I had <laughs> stories. Awesome. Fishing, I got fishing stories from when I was really little. Um, but so, you know, when I moved down to Charleston, um, in the late eighties, early nineties, um, it was natural that I started fishing here cause I grew up, you know, bass fishing in ponds too, around my, around my hometown of Manning, South Carolina. So when I moved down to Charleston about an hour and a half away, it was just a natural evolution yeah. to start fishing in saltwater. Um, awesome. I, I, I fished with a bait caster though. I came down here with a bait caster, um, for freshwater, a, uh, Daiwa team Daiwa baitcasting reel and that thing was it was like my dream reel and then when I got down here I realized oh man everybody uses spinning reels <laughs> so I changed over so I learned that and then I got a job um, working at an Orvis shop and started fly fishing in the early 90s so I started fly fishing a little before that but then I turned into a complete fly snob for, for a little while before I <laughs> before I realized that I needed to become a a well-rounded fisherman to ever become a guide. Right, right. So with your story of kind of moving down to Charleston and starting to saltwater fish, when did the guiding and the uh, the tournament fishing kind of come into play? Well, I, you know, I worked in the Orba shop and taught casting and tied flies and did all that kind of stuff. Um, as, far, as long as I could make it a living for $9 an hour and then, uh, and I was kind of piddling around with the idea of guiding and taking some friends out uh, for free, of course, um, and trying to practice to become a guide during the days when I was working in the fly shop. Um, but then I got a job working for Scout Boats as a purchase as the purchasing agent and a real job, and went into a cubicle at Scout Boats in 1995 and realized that I needed to expedite my guiding career and get out of that office yeah so within a year i got my captain's license and started and quit my job at scout and started guiding full-time um so you know i started out mainly because there weren't many guides in charleston you know it was a it was a great opportunity my my good friend peter brown uh who i'd sent trips to from the orvis shop um was sending me trips his overflow trips um, and, um, that was really how I got started by just help with some friends. And because there were so few of us, there was enough business to really to, to get started. So just to put it in perspective in, in the early nineties, when you started guiding, how many guides in the greater Charleston area do you think there were? Oh, just a handful, uh, a very few. 
I mean, I can name, I can name him. It was John Cox who did fishing. He did them part-time and Richard Sturr. Um, there were very few actual full-time guides that actually made a living at it. Actually, I don't think there were really any that made a living at it full-time. Yeah. I think the guys that I started, the the crew of guides that, that are, there's still a lot of us fishing now. There are a lot that have come and gone, obviously, but yeah. the crew of guides, we were the first full-time guides making a living at it, you know, primarily here in Charleston and starting in the early nineties. So mid nineties compared to now, how many guides in the greater Charleston? Now there are hundred. now there are hundreds of guides in Charleston. I heard, a, the, I heard a statistic and you, I, I mean, I heard this just in out of thin air, thin air essentially, but, um, is it true that there are more potentially more guides in the Charleston per square mile than anywhere else in the country? Is that a real thing? I don't, I've never heard that, okay. but I know that there, I know that there, that I've heard the numbers is in the hundreds. Gotcha. Okay. And, and every time somebody says, Hey, do you know this fishing guide that he's great? And he, you know, I've been going with him for a while and I've never heard of him. It <laughs> just blows my, it just blows my mind. Cause yeah, I would think I would know everybody, but there yeah. are just so many, so many now that Sure. I don't think that I don't think that's possible. But our little group out at the Isle of Palms Marina, uh, where I run out of, is a really is a kind of a small crowd. Yeah, um, it's gotten really kind of exclusive out there. The marina is under new ownership, so there's probably about a dozen or less. I mean, I, probably ten, maybe ten full time tenants out there. <laughs> Um, so it's, and a large population of people that come yeah. out there. So, so we have, we're really right. And we're in a great spot. We, we can avoid, uh, a lot of the hassle of the Harbor yeah. and get up to a lot of open marsh and open water. I think, you know, right where we are at Isle of Palms is perfect. It, that's it really a really is. cool area. And I think the, uh, the reason that statistic does make sense is because it's a concentrated area of people, right? Charleston, I'm sure there's yeah. probably more guides fishing, pieces of water, like smaller pieces of water in lots of other areas, but you've got such a big city close to a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. It's, Excuse me. it's kind of a shame. Well, it's kind of a shame, you know, <clears throat> you know, there, there are probably too many, uh, you know, to be honest, but uh, you know, who am I to say uh, how people, there are a lot of different kind of business models for, for sure. guides. You know, sure. we have <clears throat> the traditional guides that, that came up the way I did that, you know, you start, they're all independent contractors that just fish for them. I mean, sole proprietors that all do it just themselves and don't have employees. And then there are other things. There are other teams of guides in Charleston now that are big companies that hire guides and advertise and pay hourly rates. And it's a whole different business model than, you know, individuals, you know, for and sure. you know, they're guides who knows how long they've been here or what kind of experience they have. And that doesn't mean that they're not great. It just means that, um, you know, I, I, I would always suggest going with, you know, sole proprietors that have been in business, you know, that, you know, that have a name that aren't just a, a part of a large outfit Definitely. would be, you know, my suggestion, you know, fishing booker guides. I hate to, I know, I know a lot of guys make their living that way. Um, with services that that send trips to them, for sure, um, and take a and take a fee, but that's just not something that I'm that I would be interested in doing. No, and me, I think me it, neither. I think it hasn't been. I think it hasn't been a real positive for the for the sport. But you know, 
I, you know, I'm just out here trying to scratch a living out of the, and, and be responsible on the water. And, and, uh, you know, that's all I can ask for other people too. I don't have for any sure. rights to it that, that other people don't have. For sure. And it's, I, you know, I think that a lot of it comes down to, cause think about it when there was way less guides a long time ago, there was also a lot less marketing going on less content about fishing going on and, and really less clients because of the, like it wasn't exposed like it is today. So it's almost like well, this, this double-edged sword of like, I mean, if there was this many guides 20 years ago, it wouldn't, it could have never happened because there wasn't the same amount of clients, but it's like the client numbers growing as the guide numbers growing, but it will find that in every state, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, it's going to find that balance eventually where there's either if there's more, if there's more clients than guides, they'll become more guides and vice versa, you know? So right. it's just, right. well, it's, it, Oh, it'll all get bounced out. And it's also, you know, what you touched on a little bit is a, something I'm trying to, to deal with right now, you know, being an old school guide, I always just, you know, before coming up before social media and all that kind of stuff, I've, I've struggled to keep up. I see guides, you know, that have, been doing it you know a short amount of time but that are also you know digital creators that can do that they can show things you know they can take one little fish in a creek that i've seen a hundred thousand times and can put a drone over it and put it in slow motion and music to it and make a movie that's just incredible and i understand why that blows people's minds so i'm trying to to adapt and learn how to do that but it's it's you know, I'll be honest, it's hard for an old dog to learn new tricks. And sure. I'm trying my best to, I'm starting right now to make little videos and reels and things like that. But, uh, you know, editing videos and things like that for me, I'm enjoying learning it, but it's, um, it's hard for me. Uh, I mean, I, but I, I'm, I'm going to get better at it. This, that was my new year's resolution this year yeah. to, to, you know, start, I, cause I have, you know, I have little clips that I've taken with my phone or with GoPros over the years that I haven't done anything with. Uh-huh. And I was just thinking, I can go through all of these oh, you clips. you probably got countless with, reels just sitting there ready to go. <laughs> right, that. Just, that I just have to figure out how to edit them. So I'll just sit here with a little clip from five years ago of a fish hitting a topwater bait. Right. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and I got like 50 of those. So, uh, you know, it's fun to learn. But I, I also realize that's that's super important now. It is. Uh, especially to get the clients that I want, you know, you could, you know, you can do fishing booker and get, or any service and get just any clients. But if you want the, the better clientele, um, you know, you want the guys that are fascinated with that kind of digital creation and that kind of the aesthetics of it all. And so I, I need to get into that. And, and, uh, because if I don't, I realize that even though I have, you know, a, a clientele that I've amassed over the years, I still, you still got to keep swimming forward or you will in this market, in our market, it, you can't just rest on your laurels. There are way too many guides. That's the truth. I'm jealous as a younger guide. I mean, I've only been guiding 10 years. And even when I started, it was before the big push of social, social media was becoming a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't really heavily used in the outdoor world yet. Um, and, and so I've kind of, I, I've, I've definitely flipped into that mode of, of content and pushing that out for my business, but very jealous of, you know, what I hear as the good old days, even just a few years before I started guiding, like 
that is, I mean, just such a sweet time in our industry that we'll never have again. And it's not this big competitive, like I wish we could go back to the days before social media and before this massive exposure of, you know, shallow water fishing. I mean, they're both good. They're both fine, but, but there's something really cool about that time period, you know, that, that you started fishing in before everything got crazy. Because like you said, with fishing booker and being able to fly a drone and edit a video, like you can, you can, portray your business and your knowledge as much more than maybe what you've earned uh, oh, with time uh, on the certainly, water. Certainly. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm jealous of those guys. I want, I think it's a big part of it now. It is. Um, it is. It is. And so I, I'm working at it. And I'm not, you know, it's not something I scoff at in the least. I'm, I really want to work at it and get better at it. Um, sure. But I know, you know, the, the on the water part, I'm going to, that's the, that's the important part. And I'm going to always have that. I, I was, like, I always, I tell my girlfriend, I was like, if I have a day off, you know, I can go out by myself in just an hour and produce some kind of content that would be worth my afternoon. And now instead of, you know, I mean, I can still sit and talk flies and I just, I'm trying, those are ways that I, that I stay busy as a guide when I'm not on the water. And that's just another thing to, to do and another skill that you really need to, I mean, you have to have it nowadays. It's Definitely. just, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, I could get by without it to be honest. Um, but I would feel like I was sinking in quicksand or so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm competitive and I just by nature. So I, I really, I want to stay competitive in the business uh, until I'm ready to quit. Um, I don't want, I hate to hear that. I hate it when everybody, and just all of us do. We hate it when there are other people out on the water and we're not. Um, oh, there's, for sure. there's nothing, there's nothing worse than that. So that's why, I, you know, I love a, ra- a super stormy rainy day because I know nobody's out there fishing and I'm not fishing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. I also love when I'm fishing and catching fish when it's nasty out and no one else is out. I'm like, Oh man, it's oh, so nice I, to have this day I, myself. I like that too. And and that also the the business has changed and there's a lot more, there are a lot more people on the water and it's a lot more focus on the industry, I guess. But as far as the fishing goes, I've always stayed away from, I mean, I actually, I think probably half the people in around Charleston, the people, other guys will laugh hearing me say this, but a lot of people have learned where a lot of fish are along the intercoastal waterway because of the way they see me sitting over the years. Right. Um, and there's, I mean, they're not just me, but I mean, just where you see everybody sitting, but I have fished the intercoastal a lot, um, because there are a lot of fish on the intercoastal, but you know, to think that that's the only place I fish would be, I, I fish a lot of secret places, um, when everybody else is out, you know, in when on Saturdays and Sundays, I have places to go and get away from everybody. Yeah. And I, that, that hasn't changed, even though the amount of pressure has changed. Um, I still have been able to, I, I don't feel like I'm getting really squeezed on my spots any worse than I used to, because I don't fish exactly where everybody else is fishing. You know, in the wintertime here, a lot of people go to these big sounds where there are 500 fish schooled up in several different places. And yeah, it's awesome to go in there and see that it, it's a spectacle. But I also know that, you know, you, you'll probably get one or two of them to bite when you first get in there, and then you're going to watch them. 
right. and they won't eat anything for a long time because they're they're just so beat up and right. so hammered. Even though that's they that's where they all live, but if I got a school of thirty somewhere that that I can go to and I got a better chance to catch twice as many fish, I'd rather go there. I'm right there with than you. Just, then just the show and those spots where 30 fish are there are a lot of those spots that nobody knows about right all you got to do is put in a little bit of time on a day off and just go run down a couple of dead end creeks until you find another extra school of fish for sure um it's uh that's kind of the same <laughs> scenario we play with here and and I'm just jealous of y'all's amount of water I've got a lot of more a lot more inshore water where you are than where we are <laughs> And I know that it's probably so sounds funny. silly because you probably feel like you got nothing. And then, I, but but looking down from no, Miami, well, compared to like Louisiana, we really have nothing. But but I had friends that came up. Uh, the Mullet Brothers came up last week to fish a tournament from Florida. And they were from Florida, and it was a East Coast. It was a Power Pro Pro Redfish Tour East Coast Go Live tournament where you could fish anywhere on the East Coast. Okay. Uh, to try and catch eight pound fish. If it was eight oh one, it was over. And they had fished a tournament in Jacksonville. They're from Sarasota, but they wanted to fish in this East Coast tournament to try and qualify for something else. So they decided, because they had struggled in Jacksonville, because there there isn't so a lot of water there, they didn't think. They came up here and fished Charleston, and they were blown away by how much water was here. They were like, we put in an Isle of Palms, and we just there was so much more water than Jacksonville. Wow. And that, see, yeah. It, I, I would never, I, I, when I went to Jacksonville, I did feel like that. I feel like I just didn't know where to go. Like I felt confined, like everybody's on top of everybody. And it's just, I think we are very fortunate here for sure uh, to have so much open water. I, I don't feel, and I really don't feel the pressure. There's so many guides, but they all, they're all over the top of each other, all, sitting all over top of each other around the harbor. Um, they'll venture up the waterway and I'll see them in the waterway at some of the, when we're out in the waterway spots, but I rarely ever see any of the hundreds of other guides in Charleston unless, unless I'm going to a known area on purpose. Right. Right. And, and there's just like North Carolina, a lot of bay boat guides that are doing stuff different. Maybe can't quite get where we are in skiffs, but, um, it, right. it is, and, and, and I'm always, I'm a huge advocate for the industry and for people trying it out and guiding. It's like, I feel like there really is always room for good guides who care about people and the experience, but, um, you know, that, oh, yeah. it's, and there are a lot of, and there are a lot of people for look, looking for a lot of different kind of experiences for sure. Definitely. Um, and I, I want to change, you know, I'd like, I'm trying to focus more, my business more on, you know, when I came into it, I came into it from the fly fishing industry, um, you know, working in a fly shop and that was most of my, my trips at first. But then, as my guiding career evolved, you know, I started just taking out all walks of life, lots of families, which I still love taking family trips. Um, but the older I get, um, you know, the more I'm considering downsizing the boat from, I mean, I have an 18 HPXV now, which is a, a skip that I pull around daily. Um, but I'm considering going to that boat that Jay brought up here to fish that HPXS. Yeah, that's what um, I run. I in, love that boat. That's a great to boat. To get in six inches of water and give up, you know, give up taking that, that fourth kid, you know, that, that extra kid that wants to go in the summertime. Right. I do run a lot of four-person trips. I just do. And 
I know when I go to that little skiff, that's going to just cut out a lot of those trips. And, and I, that, but that's what I was getting at is I want my business to, that's a conscious decision to evolve my business in that direction. I think as I get older, um, I want a lighter boat. I don't don't care if you're a hundred years old or 20 years old, pulling four people (laughs) on a skiff is a lot of work. I mean, it's a a lot of work. Well, you'll see when you're 50 years old plus that when you're pulling over a sandbar, pulling over a hump in the grass and you give it one extra hard push and you feel a little something in your back and then you're hurting for about a week straight after that. Yeah. You realize times have changed. See, cause, and I'm in, (laughs) and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm in phenomenal shape for, for my age. I mean, I'm, I, I stay in good shape. I work out a lot and I, but, but I'm telling you, like my eyes have worn out. I'm having to, I finally got in contacts. Um, you know, I have to be careful about my back. Yeah. Um, sure. because that's the one thing that will, that will put me out. It doesn't really ever put me out. I just get a, I start, I put the trolling motor on the boat and, <laughs> and use, use the trolling motor. But, uh, you know, as I get older, I want to get a lighter boat and take just two or three guys at, I mean, two guys at the most, me and two guys, but you know, that is a change. It's got to be a conscious change in my business or get two boats like you guys do and, and split it up and run a bay boat half the time and a skiff half the time. But I, I, I think I'm just going to get a smaller skiff and scale down my business, um, people wise, but hopefully scale up my clientele and just, try to do more fly trips than spinning trips. Yeah. I know that's hard to do. That's so that's what I advertise more. Now I'm, I'm, I'm most of my spinning trips, unless there's a, a pretty girl or something, it's on top water. Um, I don't make posts about it. Um, my <laughs> daily, if I'm just catching fish on a piece of crab or a piece of cut mullet or something like that, um, I'm not going to make a bunch of social media posts, but if somebody's out there catching them on the fly, or doing something fun, and that's when I'm going to make a, a social media post for sure. Because um, that you don't, you're just posting everything with every time you take people out bait fishing. You know, you just give up all your all your spots and right, right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So it's kind of taking a shift here, looking at your fishery as a whole. And I'm asking this because I know it is such a unique place. But what are some of the unique traits of your fishery there for let's just talk redfish because you know being the low country what are some of the things that you really like area not area not like places but you know when you're targeting redfish what are some of the things that really fire you up that they do there kind of places you catch them or tailing in the grass or low tide belly crawlers like what is your kind of favorite draw to the redfishing there in the low country well that changes every 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 season um you know, we have tailing seasons that I really love when they, they get up in the grass and we do, you know, sight fishing for tailing fish. But there are certain times, even the, that time of the year, when, that, that are better than others. Sometimes they're really fired up. A lot of times um, it's hard to get them to eat in certain times of the, the heat of the summer. But I love to do that. But I, I love to, in the wintertime, I love to fish schooled up fish, you know, clear water, um, especially. Um, ones that I've found, you know, away from the big groups of people, if you can find them, um, in clear water, schooled up in really big packs of, in really big packs and 
tiny creeks. That's a lot of fun. That's what I enjoy doing in the wintertime. Yeah. It, like I say, it just changes. It goes from that to some, you know, in the spring we got coming up before they start tailing, you know, all the big reds move into the marsh, um, up into the marsh. Now they're kind of on the flat in the flats eating like whatever they can find, um, together. Cause there aren't a lot of crabs, but now when it changes and spring starts to come on all the big fish, I'm talking like, you know, 15 pounds plus, a lot of those fish move inshore up into the marsh where we are looking for the peeler crab, the crabs that start to peel, the blue crabs. Yeah, that's And that's, that's a whole different thing. That's before, and not even a lot of people know about it or do it. You know, no bay boat guides will be out doing it, but it's a, it's something I do over the years because I have a bass fishing background and I like to sight fish, you know, with a spinner bait or with a, somebody with a fly rod. And just going out there this in that time of the year in the in the spring on a calm day before the water's gotten real dirty uh, in the middle of the summer, that's when we can sight fish, you know, fifteen plus pound reds up in the grass and you know two or three feet of water. And that's it's some, it takes a lot of skill, but for my anglers to do it, but it's the most exciting one of the most exciting things I do all year. Yeah, um, that's that, cool. That, it's really, it's cool. And that's, that's coming right up real soon. And then after that, after the, all the tailing fish, which I'll skip right over because everybody knows about Charleston tailing fish and that's, you know, tailing fish is, and we have a great tailing fishery. Um, it's probably as many square miles of fish tailing as about anywhere, but there's a lot of pressure, um, on our tailing fish. Um, and so I, I, that's the last thing I want to publicize. I'll tell you, that's when all of our fly fishermen come out of the woodwork and it's, and all the waders. It's just, you know, people look at those tide charts and because of our population um, here, there's so many people with so, you know, all the kayaks, all the waders, that the tailing tides are when we really feel the heat of the population around here. Everything else, you know, the rest of the year, you know, you're not having to race to a flat to make sure you get there first to set up shop yeah. to make sure nobody comes in on you. That's tailing fishing seasons when that happens. And um, so there, luckily I know a lot of places where maybe a handful of them are tail um, that I can go to where I know somebody else probably wouldn't want to go. Um, but most of the really popular tailing flats are really, really popular nowadays. Uh, and I can't, I can't, I mean, I had a lot to do with that. So, you know, I can't really complain about right, it. Right. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people nowadays that have skiffs that you, you never even see unless it's a flood tide. Like they have a skiff right. to go no, fish, tailing I, redfish in the grass. Absolutely. That's why they need to get out and learn that there's, there's so much more to it and so much more fun ways to catch them than just that. Because I'm telling you, catching one, you know, a 15 pounder that's just sitting there, He's not tailing, but he's just cruising around and to be able to sight fish him. There's so, you know, in the deep water column, the deeper the water column is here, uh, the more they act like they're in Louisiana, the more they, they'll eat something that's thrown right in their face. Um, so that's, that's what I like to do. Um, as much as anything, as much as even like tailing fish. Yeah. What time of year is that for you? That you're doing that? That's the, that's the spring. Springtime. Awesome. Um, but, but it's just weather dependent because, you know, it's all springs also when the fronts all come through. And so, you know, it's a lot of times when you got, I'll have 
a week full of trips booked and I won't get any of them or I might get one or two of them. So that's just, that's just part of springtime fishing, you know, February, late February and March in Charleston. You never know how the weather's going to be. For sure. So, but, For if, sure. but if it's beautiful, but cause it's, I mean, we're breaking record just like 80 degrees today. Yeah. So oh, it's nice. You, you know, who knows what it's going to be like. Is the wind um, but the, whipping down there this week as well? It, yeah, it's it's horrible today. But yesterday wasn't so bad. The mornings right now are nice, and then it blows up really fast. Yeah. Um, but the best fishing here year round of the year, if people ask you what time to come to Charleston to fish, um, I haven't even mentioned that. That's the fall. The fall when they – and I'm sure it's the same there. As soon as they, the water temperatures drop and the, the algae – stops blooming and the water gets clear when the fish school up and start to think that the bait's going to disappear and they start eating that's the best time of the year for us when we can go out and throw top water for more than just 15 minutes at sunrise you can right. sometimes throw it for a couple of hours and they still eat it so you know the fall you know that fall transition is the best fishing of the year in charleston and that's thanksgiving it used to be october um, 25 years ago, they used to always talk about red October and it's still, it's still a great month to catch fish. I, I can, I love catching, but it's October is how August used to be. It seems like, um, nowadays the, everything's kind of shifted a month further forward. 25 years ago, October was about the temperature that it is at the end of November or maybe yeah. the beginning of December, middle of December. I mean, that, I can tell, you know, some people don't believe in climate change, but I know just from being on the water the last 30 years and the way the fish have changed that everything has shifted like a month and a half in the past 25, 30 years. Even just so looking now, at water temperatures certain times of year, you know, it's a good standard. Oh, absolutely. It's exactly the same. So, so now, you know, Thanksgiving, it used to be the end of October, November 1st. Now it's, it's from Thanksgiving through until Christmas is when it gets super duper hot for artificials here in Charleston. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it's cool to know that and understand that, and then you really do as a fishing guide that's been in it for a long time, kind of understand things like that, the weather, climate change. Like you just pick up on some stuff because you're you're focusing on weather so much. You know, you're looking at changes in in what's happening and, and little nuances that you can try to learn from essentially. Oh so. yeah, and it took. It took me, I mean, even, I, I can still remember when I've been a guide for 15 years, 20 years even, I still remember doubting myself about, you know, what are these fish doing? Do I, can I, do I understand what they're doing? And nowadays I, I feel like I kind of have as good an idea as, as a human can possibly understand what a, a fish is trying to, to, to do and, what, you know, how they're moving in and out of the marsh. But it's still, it's still a crapshoot half the time. You know, it's it's not it's not an exact science. Right. Um, I still second guess myself a lot of the time, but um, but most of the most days, um, I make the right calls unless it's uh, unless I've just made some kind of bonehead mistake and gone right when I should have gone left um, and gotten too far away from the area, gotten too far away from the area and like, Oh man, I should have gone there and it's too far to go now. And uh, it's just a horrible feeling. (laughs) I know the feeling myself. 
I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. So being a, a fishing guide who's also spent a lot of time, you know, in the early tournament scene as well as up to now, what do you feel more drawn to as an angler? You know, if 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 money wasn't any part of the picture, but just passion, would you mm. find yourself more drawn towards the fly fishing and the light tackle and the free fishing, if you will, or or to the uh, like the competitive side of the tournaments and and the community there? That's that's a good that's a good question. Not the community side of the tournaments. I enjoy that. I used to do it for a lot of the camaraderie and and that's still a good that's a fun part of it. I enjoy my my partner's company, enjoy all that the whole scene. Um, but I mainly do it now just to because I'm so competitive and I and if there's a tournament somewhere near me of trying to catch redfish, I feel like I ought to have a chance to win it. I've always felt like that, yeah. even though you know, I, I just, I'm just super competitive. So that's, uh, as a guide, that's why I've always had to like temper my, how excited I get, you know, how even I compete with myself and not, you know, on the boat every day trying to catch one more fish. And I always have to like, the older I get, the more I have to like, it's easier for me to calm down and realize that, for sure. you know, to not get so excited all the time. But that's, that's, you know, the tournament fishing is the only place where I really get really excited. And But it's it's highs and lows along with that tournament fishing. You know, it's it's a lot of fun, but, but there's a lot more there's, there's a lot more losing than there is winning, that's for sure. So, um, especially over 20 years of, of doing it. It's, uh, it's, it's, but the, the times that you win, it, it makes it all worth it. But I do that um, because I have relationships with a lot of companies as well that I've maintained over the years. Um, power pole was a huge part of my career. Um, I, I met the John from power pole, the guy who invented power pole, John Oliverio, um, fishing tournaments a long time ago. And, um, I actually met him before then, but we've had a great relationship and they've been a great big part of my tournament career. Um, and they've kept me going, you know, they help their help helps me get through the winter um, and not worry as much about guiding and worry about, you know, doing tournament fishing and guiding. Cause right. you, it, it's hard to do. You really have to do one or the other to leave your, your guiding career for weeks at a time um, can kill your business. For sure. You know, you got to stay in the game. So if I didn't have uh, the support of my sponsors, I wouldn't be able to take off and go to Louisiana for, you know, four or five weeks out of the year. 
to go compete down there. But, but, but I wouldn't miss that. You know, that's, that's part of what I, the reason I do it. I, I got to get out of Charleston and, and fish other places too. I'm sure, I'm sure you like to travel and fish as well. I got a lot of friends that, that, that really go out to, I mean, they take groups all over fly fishing for sailfish and tarpon all over the world and do things like that. I've decided to spend that time doing tournaments. You know, I've, I've convinced myself that my vacation is Louisiana. And, and so it is, you know, that's what I feel. I feel like when I go to Louisiana, I'm on vacation and I'm there, I'm there to compete, but it's also, um, getting out of town to go fish for me somewhere besides Charleston always feels like vacation. Yeah, for I mean, sure. It, it just... So, so being but, a fly angler and a tournament angler, throwing spin rods, bait casters, fly rods, what do you say is the best setup from bait to the rod and reel in your hand for sight fishing redfish? What is oh, the it, best tool? It, the best tool, uh, you know, I, I would say somebody that's real, and I, I wouldn't consider myself be in this class but i've seen guys that are really good with a bait caster in texas and louisiana that can that can pitch and flip um like a pro bass fisherman those guys are incredible uh really close quarters catching fish that are really close and that that to me is probably the hardest thing people think that a long cast is, and the same thing is exact same thing with fly fishing yeah. um a person that can catch a fish that's at 15 or 20 feet or coming in hot um, is much more impressive to me than somebody who can cast 70 feet and catch one, you know, that's a perfect shot. You know, right. uh, sometimes it's so, so I think sometimes a, a bait caster probably um, with a, something that you could flip or pitch might be the most efficient way to catch you know, to sight fish for reds, mm-hmm. um, the most fun way, you know, I think would be with the fly, of course, because you can, um, because that's just how I, I like to fish. Yeah, but I don't sure. think, I don't think it's, I mean, I know it's not the most efficient way to catch them because, you know, if that were the case, then, then in tournaments, we would all be fly fishing. Right, um, exactly. And we're not, we're, we're up on, you know, especially down in Louisiana, I even had to, it took me a while to realize that we had to get high up on those platforms to compete um, down. We don't do that here. And then um, you don't see tower boats are in Charleston. Thank goodness. But um, down there in Louisiana, if we didn't get up higher, um, we weren't competing because you can see those fish from so much further away. Yeah. And if you can make, if you can present a bait to every fish down there, you'll catch almost every one. So, you know, if they get too close though, they start to act like, south carolina fish right right and and they'll refuse you so you know we had to learn that but we can't use but we don't use towers here in charleston um it's just not a it's not a thing nobody goes around i haven't seen anybody going around like they do in in other places and you know with a trolling motor and a tower boat and fishing like texas style it's not it's not really a thing here yet i don't know if y'all see that Uh, i don't know if y'all have seen many tower boats coming into your area yet but I, I I don't want them. I don't want them to come here because I mean that the more they're just so. I'm sure they can fish them without burning the flats look, to look for fish, but but you know that's just it's just too tempting in one of those rigs that are made to 
That's, run on a plane and look for fish. It's very true. It, it, it is tempting the higher you get and the, and the quicker you can move through an area, the, le- the less delicate you are. One thing that I really like that you said, though, is it's so much more impressive when you see someone that can make, make a shot happen close and far away because I try to share that a lot on guide trips. It's like when a fish is further away, the angle game is way more lenient. You know, you've got more time to make something happen. The ang- you know, the, the angle can be a, a, a wider variety of angles if you will and then that short game it's like you have one place you can land that and a certain amount of time to draw that bait across a fish's face or it's not gonna it's not gonna happen especially when they're coming oh, yeah. at you so that that is so fun I, that's my favorite shot like just a fish that's fired up coming right towards the boat real close you know sneaking out of deep water and you've got to put a cast in front of them really quick and get in the exact right spot yeah and it's so funny how how people give up on shots that are close sometimes and right. You know, start, especially clients, you'd like to keep it there. You know, let, as long as the fish doesn't know that we're there yet, you still have a chance, even if they're right close to the boat. So, I mean, and I'm sure you've had this happen a lot of times. I've had, I have to explain to people about the dip, um, you know, dip in a, in, and people feel like they're cheating when they dip a fly to a fish and get him to eat it. I don't feel like it's cheating at all. No. You know, if I can pull you right up to a fish and he's, six feet off the bow and he's sitting there still and he doesn't know you're there. If you can dip that fly down to him without him seeing you and just put it in the water in front of him and he eats it and takes off right out. That's cool as it can get. I think that's great, but I, but I'll have a lot of people that'll be that aren't really good casters. That might be the only fish they get all day. So, you know, if they start wagging that rod and start rocking the boat, you know, with their whole body, with their whole casting, with their whole body, they uh, they might spook them all away. But I know a lot of times I was like, I'll pull them around through the grass real slow and real still if they're not a great caster and try to get them to dip it to one. For sure, for <laughs> so, sure. So they can just don't even have to cast it. But a lot of people feel like they're cheating right. when you do that. right. No, I think it's funny. I've had very little luck with the old dip, but it has worked for me before, and it's it is cool. It's very oh, well, tempting I to get, trout set your as hard as you can though, when when they eat it like that. It's like you got nothing else. It is. I had a. I have a. Actually, last night I was starting to do a. Re, I was going through those old videos, and I have one from a year or two ago with a, a client of mine uh, that. I mean, he had a fish. Was, I'll, you'll see it in a couple of days because I'm going to put this reel up. But he has one coming in the grass at like, it's like 15 feet away and he just dips the fly right in, or he does a little bit of a cast, plops it right in front of it and it takes off and eats it. He pulls it from the fish and the fish, you can see the fish swirl around right next to the boat and he just, he didn't give up. He plopped the fly right down in front of the fish again and it grabbed it again and took off with it right at the boat. That's I mean, awesome. <laughs> just, just an incredible, incredible eat with right next to the boat and most of the time the shot is way over after they get that close to the boat. But as long as the fish doesn't know you're there, um, you can catch them. People don't realize uh, having a still body when you're casting is so much more important than distance and, and heaving it out there, you know, and really, you know, rocking back and forth and making the, the fish will not eat if they know you're there. If you can just be a lot more delicate, if you watch, guys like Chico cast or flip these older guys that have been casting for a hundred years, you know, they're not rocking their whole body when they cast, right. You know, it's a lot more just hands 
uh, a lot more hands and, and smaller movements. I got a client calling on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's so much more important than, than really being able to rip it a long way um, is, you know, a delicate cast and, and being able to see those are all the things that are so important for, for a fly caster with me, but. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, I always, I always find myself every time I got a fly caster telling them, you know, stand as with your feet as close together as you're comfortable when you're casting. They get that, yeah. you get that wide stance up there and it just draws you into a rock when you're casting. So keep yeah. those feet. Well, I mean, I, I tried to, you know, to get back to what you were asking me about, I, I, I was telling my girlfriend, I wrote an article a long time ago called the, the Renaissance Fisherman. And um, my dad used to always tell me when I was growing up, oh, this client's just beeping in and beeping in. She will not You're stop. good, you're good. Um, but so my dad used to always tell me, be a Renaissance man when I was growing up. He wanted me to learn to do all kinds of things. So I wrote an article about being a Renaissance Fisherman. And my journey as a fisherman having going from being a, a working in a fly shop and being kind of a fly snob at, at one point to actually becoming a fishing guide and realizing that I had to learn how to cut mullet and and catch bait on a nasty day for somebody who couldn't didn't know which way to to use a, to turn a spinning reel so you know those are things you have to learn and I, and the better I got at catching them on bait or catching them, you know, cast, you know, with bass tackle sight fishing that way, the better I became at fly fishing. So, you know, it all works. You know, it's never a good idea to think one kind of fishing superior to the other. I've always felt like, you know, you learn a lot anytime you're out there doing it. And I've learned just as much sitting with bait with clients in certain spots about, what the fish are doing than I have sitting casting a fly in a certain spot. So, you know, I can, you know, a lot of the information that you learn doing one um, skill can definitely transfer over to, to other things. And it's better to, to be able to do it all than just to be stuck into one, one kind of fishing, in my opinion. So that's why, you know, I like to, I like to stay good with a bait caster, with a spinning reel, um, with the fly rod, um, and even some days if I'm out and I'm, you know, pretty, you know, looking around for my clients, I'll also throw out some bait. Um, I'm not above doing anything to catch a fish. So. We sound pretty similar. <laughs> so, we sound pretty yeah, similar. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Is it, I mean, I, I like to, I mean, I think you can learn so much from every type of fishing, you know, and you, you almost shoot yourself in the foot by, getting getting i mean there, there's nothing wrong with really loving one style or one way of fishing and sticking with it but i think oh sure no as a recreate as a recreational angler for sure yeah but but as a, i mean pick you know specialize pick your your passion and specialize in it but as a guide um if you if you only I, if i only knew how to fly fish um a lot of my clients would be really disappointed yeah i hear that because uh you got, you got to look, sometimes I call it lowest common denominator fishing and I hate to have to do that, but sometimes that's what it comes down to. And it's all about what your clients want to do. Not exactly what you want to do. A lot of that, that's a hard time. That's something you have to learn as a guide. A lot of times it's, and I've gotten so much better at it than I used to be as a young guide. I, you know, you get, I was a lot 
harder to get along with as a young guy and you realize that that you got to be super sweet and nice all the time um as much as you possibly can be some days it's impossible um right but I, that's you know always you know i got to be super nice um and realize that i don't want to make somebody uncomfortable on my boat that's the that as long as somebody's having a good time that's the important thing about about the fishing trip right you know you know if they can't cast don't make them feel bad um try to encourage them um you know some people are delusional and you know you, they they feel like the the trip wasn't good because it, and they don't realize it was it was it was both of your faults that you probably right, they could right. have probably cast a little better and I probably could have done a little better job but you know it's it's um it's all about making sure they have a good time and and catering to whatever kind of fishing whatever kind of day they want to have right well, you look at any business that's that's done well. I mean, you got to put the client first, whether they're right or wrong. Huh. You know, ego aside, pride aside, and that's something that's hard for me sometimes. Is like when I tell when I say something like, oh, "No, he would have." Like someone makes a cast to a fish, and they're like, "Oh, he just he didn't want it at all." And I want to be like, "No, he never saw it. The fly was nowhere near uh, the fish." But um, you just can't say those things sometimes because I mean, if it's someone I know well and a, fi- a client I fish with a bunch, I do. You know, you can ride them, but. That's, that's the funny thing is, is you don't want, it's much better to be a stranger fishing with me than somebody than one of my good buddies. I will give, <laughs> and that's, and even some of my closest friends, some of my closest friends, I have to bite my tongue because I really want to give it to them. Right. But if it's a client, if it's a client, I, it, uh, but it, my friends, it's a whole different story. But even with my friends uh, now, I don't even give them as hard a time as I used to. Right, right. I've, me- so, I've oh, really we'll mellowed. One. <laughs> one I've really mellowed. I've really mellowed over the years. That's good. I, I think I'm starting my mellowing process. I was never super. I, I guess I say I'm not competitive. I think I am a little competitive, but but not insanely competitive. Uh, I am in some aspects of life, but but not in a competition sense. If that makes sense, I don't. It doesn't. Even yeah, make no, sense. I get it. I'm. I'm. I'm a. I'm not normal in that way. I mean, I, I understand that when I'm dry, nobody likes to ride in the car with me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just horribly, comp- I mean, I, I can't help it. It's pathological. Right. right, uh, right. So that's, so that's what I have to like always calm down. And the, you know, that's made, one of the reasons why I'm a fisherman is because, you know, I was a frustrated athlete You know, I, I wanted to be the best at tennis, you know, growing up, I thought I, I'm not that big. So I was like, maybe I can do, you know, I could be great at tennis. I tried to play, you know, I played tournaments and played into college a little bit and realized that wasn't my thing. Fishing always, I was always really good at fishing and I realized that's something I can compete in. So when I saw the opportunity to com- to compete catching redfish, um, it was no exactly what I was, it was exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. And now that's 20, that's been 20 years and, and, and now I just do it because I, for the love of the competition and, um, and just cause it's a big part of my business Yeah, yeah. and it's a fun part of my business. It's the only, like I said, it's the only time I can really get to travel. Yeah. And, and fishing for yourself is fun too. I mean, get, getting out there and fun fishing is great, but fishing for yourself with some purpose behind it as an, as someone who's devoted so much of their life to angling, to fishing, uh, I, I mean, it's, it just makes sense, you know? Oh yeah. And every once in a while, and most of the time you lose, but every once in a while, we win. We won one last year. 
my partner and I won a few in the, a couple of them in the Redfish Cup, and um, you know we've won over the, over the last twenty years uh, probably I hate to say, you know a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, you know a little a couple thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there over the years. So it, you know that also adds up and helps. I mean we also hope to win you know i'm not out there just to donate to all my competitors right we're out there to try and win so every once in a while we won a good one last year and i hope i hope to win another one this year if i can win one every year that makes it a lot that makes me want to stay in it and keep doing it for sure for sure that that's that's awesome so uh, I, I think we'll wrap it up with that. But I, before we do, I want uh, you to share with people your guide business name and how they can find your website and reach out to you if they want to book a trip in the Char- greater Charleston area. Uh, my website's benalderman.com. I'm on Instagram at benaldermanfishing. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm starting to do a little bit more with my YouTube channel, but not really. Hopefully there'll be a lot more to come with that in the coming year. But you can always find me at 843-906-3630 right here in Charleston. And I run out of the Isle of Palms Marina, which is just north of Charleston proper. Awesome. 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 Well, I will also put all of that information in the show notes uh, for the podcast. Oh, cool. So you can scroll down there and click on that, you guys. And uh, I'll, I'll, there'll be uh, some stuff on Instagram as well. But I will, uh, I'll put all that in the show notes, like I said. But, man, Ben, I can't thank you enough for hopping hey. on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope that wasn't just a, a bunch of incoherent rambling, but I, I no, no, it was it was a bunch of great knowledge, and it was it was a blast. We'll have to do another one. And hey, and, well, it's fun talking with you. Yeah, and we definitely. need to get the fish. Uh, you know, get Jay back up here and fish with both of us. Yeah, for sure. I would love to. I would love to. We'll uh, we'll chat about that uh, here in the in the near future. Maybe do some fishing together. Make some content. So. Uh, guys, thank you all so much for checking out the Eastern Current Podcast. And as always, we will see you next week. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.